Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Carpenter's Son by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you this morning that the truth is you're always speaking, but Lord, our ears are so often closed, our hearts are so often dim, Lord God, and our eyes are so often shut. So I would pray today for every person that's sitting here, Lord God, that you would open our eyes that you would open our hearts and shine your light in our hearts, Lord God, and that you would unclog our ears this morning. That every person sitting in this room would know God speaking to them, we ask. In your wonderful name, amen. Amen. Uh, I trust you have all turned to Luke chapter 4. We will uh, work our way through Luke chapter 4. Just before um, we came up to Tasmania, came up to Queensland from Tasmania, sorry. Tasmania on the brain must be the chill in the air. <laughs> Just before we came to, up to Queensland from Tasmania, uh, when we were at Lagana, we ran a home group, and myself and my wife, we loved running that home group. Great bunch of people. Uh, but one of the members of the home group was the state health minister. Uh, he's actually still the current state health minister in Tasmania. Wonderful guy. A beautiful family and just absolutely loves Jesus. And it was, uh, it, it's an interesting, uh, I, we need to pray for our politicians because it is an interesting journey they have to try and navigate politics as well as uh, the Christian faith. It's very challenging at times. But he's a great guy, very busy, uh, and we were blessed when he was able to join us. But uh, at the same time, just before we came up, my foster mother was having surgery. She had cancer uh, on the thyroid, and she was in hospital, in and out of hospital quite a bit. And I remember visiting her, and uh, for some reason or another, the gentleman's name came up in conversation. And uh, one of the nurses picked up on his name, and this nurse says, starts reeling off about uh, how the health minister has done this and this cutback means this and we've been cut back here and he's done this and he's a this and he's a that. And I said, whoa, hang on a second. I said, I actually know the health minister quite well. I said, I said, I know a completely different health minister to you. And I went on to explain how I knew him as a family man. And I went on to explain how I knew him as a man that would drive home from church and see the obscene things that were painted on the back of ambulances with his name on it. And I would explain to her about the fact that he's a person just like we are and that I know him vastly different. And there was a barrier in this lady's life. She wasn't the only one that held these opinions. And of course, politics, particularly the health ministry, if, if I've come to the conclusion, if you're in politics and somebody gives you the health ministry, they don't like you for some reason. You, you are never going to keep everybody happy when it comes to health. Uh, so uh, he had an unforeseeable task in front of him, but there was a barrier. It didn't matter what I told this lady, there was a barrier that meant for her, he was never going to be any more than a politician. And for many of us, there are barriers in our hearts and in our lives that mean for us, Jesus is never going to be any more than the carpenter's son. And I need to make it a huge apology this morning because I have made a huge error. Jesus actually is not the carpenter's son. And the difference, as we will see as we work through Luke chapter 4, the difference we will see is 
Jesus must be so much more than the carpenter's son for us to fully experience him. You know, the psalmist wasn't joking when he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is not some distant philosophy. Jesus is not just a good idea. Jesus was more than just a good teacher. And he was certainly so much more than the carpenter's son. And we need barriers to be broken down in our hearts because until Jesus is more than the carpenter's son, just like that lady and the health minister, Jesus will just be a man to us. In Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 16, Jesus, uh, it says that, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is just like God, isn't it? Uh, You know, at Christmas time, we celebrate Christ, but... from a, from a man's perspective, uh, you know, and from everybody in that day, they were expecting the king to be born in Jerusalem. You know, this, this king that had been promised, this saviour and this messiah that was to come, we would, he would be born, surely he would come in Jerusalem. <laughs> the prophets had not said that he would come in Jerusalem at all. But surely he would be born in a palace. Surely he would arrive on this planet in a more significant place in Nazareth. But Jesus is born and grows up in Nazareth. And it's just like that little bar in Boston where everybody knows your name. In the first century, everybody knows your name. You grow up in a village where everybody knows who you are. And Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry and he now comes back to all the people he grew up with. I mean, he's his own half-brothers. That's right, half-brothers. Same same mother, different father. His own half-brothers were his largest sceptics through the whole time of his life. But yet, <laughs> this is what I love about the resurrection of Christ. <laughs> Talk about experiencing Christ. His biggest sceptic was James, his half-brother, yet James was the most radical convert. James, his half-brother, one of the biggest sceptics, would be, would be tossed off the top of Jerusalem when Rome sacked the city. He would be tossed off the top of the temple. And history records through Josephus that he would get up and dust himself off and walk away to the horror of those who threw him off the temple. So Jesus comes to Nazareth where everybody knows who he is and everybody is familiar with who this Jesus is. And as was his custom, I love that. It was customary for Jesus to go to church. It was customary for him to be in the synagogue, which is what church is like for us today. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Now, a a typical service in the synagogue would start with reading something about five chapters out of the law, just to refresh everybody on the rules and regulations, just to reaffirm and establish the concrete foundation of doing as you're told. And then, of course, there would be prayer and praise. And then there would be a reading from the prophecy and somebody would give a sermon from the prophecy. The greatest preacher that ever walked the earth is about to give the most profound sermon and it's not going to be any more than about four or five words. 
And he reads from a prophecy. It says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. We're going to have a look at the prophecy that was written concerning Jesus and the prophecy that he reads out. But he's reading from a prophecy that up until recently, Isaiah the prophet, it was always said up until years of recent times that uh, the Isaiah's prophecy was written after Jesus died. Why? Because many of the prophetical uh, proclamations within Isaiah line up so beautifully to the person of Jesus that the mathematical odds are so far out of scale that they said there is no possible way this was written before the time of Jesus. And we actually had no evidence to rebut that until a few little shepherd boys were wandering through the desert and threw a rock into a cave and broke a jar full of prophecies. And the most conservative effort, uh, estimates of the scrolls that were found is that they are, at, at the very least, 150 years before Christ they were written. And of course, they're the Dead Sea Scrolls that most of us would, would have read about. So when, when we talk about Isaiah's prophecy, we're talking about a guy that actually wrote these things. He lived about 700 plus years before Christ. And he speaks such prophecies as there will be a child born of a virgin, just like Jesus. But this prophecy, I love the one that Jesus stands up and reads out. I've got some good news for people here today. I've just got, do we not need some good news? Uh, You know, I was talking to a gentleman the other day and uh, he he said, oh, you know, did you hear on the news? And I said to him, no. And, And the reason is I don't listen to the news all that often. I probably should, but I don't. Because there's not a whole lot of good news on the television, in case you hadn't wondered. But I found some good news. And this is, we all need some good news, and I found some. And, you know, Jesus standing up, I'm going to read the whole prophecy out, and then we'll have a look at what it means. He stands up and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Anyone here feeling captive this morning? And recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. And to proclaim, this, this last one's a beauty. You wait till we get to the last one. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That one's awesome. You wait till we get to that one. But what does Jesus mean when he stands up and he reads a prophecy and it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to anoint me. Quite often anointing in the Old Testament is a little bit, a little bit like our baptism. It's an outward sign of an inward reality that's going on and it's it was quite often people were anointed for specific reasons and specific purposes and specific assignments people were anointed and they would be covered with oil as an outward sign and a seal of that calling and what Jesus is saying in this prophecy is the spirit of the Lord has anointed me I have been set apart for a particular purpose for a particular assignment Nothing, nothing flash in our eyes. Isaiah 53 unpacks the kind of assignment that Jesus had come for. But he was anointed. And the word anoint means to rub or to sprinkle on. And he's saying, the spirit of the Lord has been rubbed into me. You see, in the Old Testament, they didn't have what we have. We have the Holy Spirit available living inside of us and empowering us and strengthening us on a constant basis. We have, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on and off people for specific purposes 
and for specific times. And Jesus says that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And that word poor, both in the Hebrew as well as in the Greek, means somebody who is impoverished and destitute. And it is a direct reference not to what we have in our hands, not to a reference to uh, our material possessions or how much food that we have. Jesus has good news to those who are spiritually impoverished and those who are spiritually destitute. We are living in a society today where everybody's seeking some kind of spiritual experience. We've got people doing all kinds of weird and wonderful meditations and chants and whatever else. And we've got people making covenants with the universe. Who woke up and thought that was a great idea? But people are seeking tangible reality and spiritual experience. Why? Because they are impoverished and destitute, trying to fill a hole that sits inside of their hearts. And there's only one man that can do it. And he stands up and says, I've got some good news for you. You no longer have to be impoverished. You no longer have to wonder. You no longer have to try and find all the things of this world to cram into that hole. The testimony, we listened to another testimony at the men's breakfast yesterday and it was a fantastic testimony, a couple of testimonies. But every time I hear a testimony, I hear testimonies of men and women that are trying to cram something else into that God-shaped hole in our hearts. And nothing fits in there except for the person of Jesus Christ. And this is good news. If you're a Jew and you're trying to serve God under the law, this is good news. If you're a Gentile, Not born a Jew at all. This is good news. Doesn't matter what colour your skin is anymore. Doesn't matter who your mum and dad is anymore. Doesn't matter what country you're born in. Doesn't matter how much money you do or do not have. Doesn't matter what career path you've taken. I have some good news for you this morning. Jesus Christ can be known and experienced today. That's good news. In fact, of all the five really strong evidences for the existence of God, the fifth one for me is that God can be known and experienced today, and that is a home run for many people. Let's read on. Uh, To proclaim good news to the poor, and I've joined two of them together here. He says, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Notice that in this line, he has been sent to proclaim liberty, and notice that further down it says to set at liberty. Not only is Jesus the proclamation of freedom really, release and liberty, but he is the one that has the power to perform it. Amen. Amen. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. You don't have to go very far to realise there are a lot of people that would put their hand up and say, I'm in captivity. Whenever you are going through life, and you feel like you're a passenger in what's going on, you're a captive. I hear, I have the divine privilege of hearing and sitting alongside people who say, this has taken over my life. I've got no more control anymore. 
I, I can't do anything about this. I, I, I've struggled with... It doesn't matter whether you're struggling with addiction. It doesn't matter whether you're struggling with stuff you shouldn't be looking at on the internet. It doesn't matter whether you're struggling with your identity or, or whatever that looks like. If you feel captive today, somebody came 2,000 years ago to let you know you can be free. And you might be sitting here saying, I've followed Jesus for 15 years and you can still be captive. You can still be riding in the passenger seat of addictions. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He has also sent me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The word captive means somebody who is in prison. Does this start to describe perhaps how some people may be feeling on the inside? In prison or confined or controlled by something outside of us. To someone who is oppressed, you are subject to harsh and authoritarian treatment. You are oppressed. We speak about uh, uh, the African-American population in America for many years would have said, we are oppressed. Maybe they would say that today. But the word liberty means a dismissal, a release or forgiveness. Can I tell you that my personal testimony is this, that upon meeting Jesus Christ, the most amazing thing that I can say that I experienced was release. When Jesus says, come unto me all you who are weary and laden and take my yoke, because my yoke's easy. You, my yoke, <laughs> all the work's already been done. You see, religion is spelt D-O, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. Jesus would say, I've done it all. <laughs> you, just, you just have to accept it and you just have to receive it. And this proclaiming, this proclaiming liberty to captives is like Jesus walking into a jail cell, un- unlocking all of the doors and saying, you guys can walk free. But we choose to sit inside ourselves. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the poor and recovering of sight to the blind and uh, receiving sight and blindness can, it is so often used in scripture as a metaphor for the dullness and the insensitivity and the callousness of our hearts. I love the words of, of C.H. Spurgeon. He says, the gospel is like the sun. You know, the sun, the same sun that we enjoy, I know Queensland's sun's very different to everybody else's, but the same sun that we walk outside and experience, that same sun melts wax, but it also hardens clay. And C.H. Spurgeon says, in the same way, the message of Jesus and the gospel of Christ melts even some of the hardest hearts, but sometimes they grow more callous. You see, Jesus came with a very radical message. Jesus came with a very radical set of ideas. For, for the first time, somebody's not talking about what, what religion looks like on the outside. But now Jesus is saying religion's all about what's on the inside. Experiencing God all begins with the heart. Jesus says you don't get it. Everything that happens on the outside is a product of what's on the inside. And too often we're like Nicodemus. What, what do you mean by heart? That, that thing that pumps blood? Yeah, that's important. Okay, look after that one as well. You, you might need that one. But, but when the Bible speaks about our hearts, when Jesus speaks about our hearts, he's speaking about, he's speaking about our desires. He's speaking about our emotions. He's speaking about our will. 
and the choices that we make. He, he's speaking about the attitudes in our hearts. And Jesus says, everything that happens on the outside is a product of what happens on the inside. And, you know, man thinks they're pretty clever. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't put a man to the bottom of the ocean yet. And we can put a man on the moon and we can do many marvellous things with medical science and so forth, but I have not met anybody yet, not one single person that can change the human heart. But there was one man that could remove all of our dullness and all of our insensitivity and all of the callousness that exists in all of our hearts. And now, what does that mean? It means that there is light in our hearts and you can actually experience God. Those barriers are broken down. The, the walls are broken down. To proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. But here's the best one. I love this one. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Oh, that one's awesome. You see, under the old covenant, every 50 years, seven times seven, 49 years, and then on the 50th year, uh, there was a decree made that uh, every slave was to be set free. (laughs) Every debt was to be cancelled. Take that one to Westpac and see how you go. (laughs) It affected their culture dramatically. Nobody, nobody would lend money in the 49th year. <laughs> You'd be a little bit silly, wouldn't you? I'll wait a couple of years and I'll lend it to you then. But, but it's an amazing truth that Jesus stands up and says, you know, uh, everything you experience under that year of the Jubilee, you, you know the excitement, that, you know how that just changes everything? Well, it, it now changes everything spiritually. Because when Jesus arrives on the planet, God says, now is the acceptable year of the Lord. From now on, don't worry about counting 50 years. From now on, all debts are cancelled. Every debt that you could possibly have against God in the person of Jesus Christ, it can be (laughs) cancelled. All of the slaves can be set free. If you feel like you're a slave here today, you can be set free. Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of the acceptable year of the Lord. Uh, So debts... Debts are all cancelled, slaves are set free, and it was the announcement of all things made new. Wall Street would go berserk <laughs> if we adhered to the Jubilee today. I think Wall Street could do with some Jubilee. That is good news for every single person right now, is that you can know all things made new. Sounds like good news, doesn't it? Does sound like good news. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. What message, what what sermon are you going to bring, Jesus? The best one you could hope for. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What a sermon. We don't hear anymore, and we don't need to hear anymore. Jesus doesn't need to say anything else. Jesus says today, all that you're waiting for, all that you're longing for, has been fulfilled. And Jesus stands before them and says, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. They're big words. They're big words. And if, and if anybody came to me and said, I'm the fulfilment of this or whatever else, who, who would say, you're going to have to back that up, champ? Jesus backs it up when he walks out of the grave. 
he leaves us in no doubt when he walks out of the grave. Many, many people have tried to tear apart the fabric of Christianity. Two men were told, if you want to remove Christianity, there's one thing you have to do. You have to give us a body. If, if you can give us the body of Christ, then Christianity falls apart. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, you are still in your sins and your faith is futile. Those two men are Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel, and they travel the globe proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ now because they could not. They could not debunk Christianity, and they could not do anything more than actually prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfilment of this prophecy. Jesus backed it up. The year of the Lord's favour speaks of grace. That's a beautiful word. I said a couple of weeks ago that, you know, God actually really treats us unfairly. God's really, really, really unfair to all of us. Because if he treated you like you should be treated, none of us would be here. But because of grace and because of favour, we're able to live with him and to experience him. Let's read on. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and all spoke well of him. Great sermon, but have you finished already? And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Of course they would. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Is this not Joseph's son? And here we sort of come back to the health minister. I've spoken to people who don't believe in Jesus and I've said, you know, what's God? They're always seeking answers and evidence and proof. And I said, well, you know, what's God got to do? You know, and, and I've heard Christians say this too. If, if Christians said, you know, I wonder what we would do if Jesus walked through the door. Or, you know, I've heard people say, if Jesus comes down and does a little show and shows me the holes in his hands, then maybe I'll believe in him. Uh, to those people, I would say, what more does Jesus have to do? And I, I can remember being in a Rodney Howard Brown meeting and uh, this, this profoundly challenged me. And we were in a pretty big stadium and uh, we were in South Australia. And he said, I said, you know, God could come down here right now, he said, and lift the roof off this stadium. He said, suspend it two metres in the air and gently lower it back to where it was. He said, there'll be people in this room that say the bolts weren't done up tight enough. And when I look back over my life, there were too many times when things happened to me and circumstances happened in my life and I was too quick to say the bolts weren't done up tight enough when actually it was the mighty hand of God working in my life. Jesus has come and he is not Joseph's son. But we run the risk we are in peril and we are in danger of missing Jesus if he is not more than Joseph's son to us. The greatest example of this that I could find in Scripture is Thomas. We, we all know about Thomas and Thomas has inherited a nickname called Doubting Thomas. And we read about him in John chapter 20, but he was the one that said we should go to Jerusalem even if we die with Jesus. But turns out that when Jesus was crucified, Thomas was at a loss. Uh, we see that 
he was confused. The disciples came and said, Jesus has appeared to us. And no matter what they said, they couldn't convince Thomas. He said, I'm not going to believe it just because you guys say so. You're asking me to cross an enormous line here. You're asking me to give all of my life and all of my heart to Christ. I'm not going to do that unless I can see the holes in his hands and place my hand in his side. And Jesus appears to Thomas and meets him right where he's at. And he puts his finger in his hands, his hand in his side. And Thomas says some very deeply profound words. He says, my Lord and my God. And there was a transaction that's happened there where Jesus went from being a man crucified on a cross and it was all over to it has really only just begun for Thomas. And this scared little Thomas, along with all the other frightened disciples, would take the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ to India and he would be flayed for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something had transpired. Let's read on. Is, this not, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. You see, the interesting thing is Jesus' ministry has begun. He's going to quote to them. He goes on and he says, what we have heard you do in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Well, let's see there... Jesus has been to Capernaum. There is a record of him uh, performing miracles in Capernaum. We, We hear all through the Gospels of the blind people receiving their sight, of dead people being raised back to life, of lepers being cleansed. No leper was ever healed. They were always cleansed. Lepers being cleansed. Surely they would say of this Jesus, physician, heal yourself. Do here in Nazareth the same thing you did in Capernaum. And what's the difference? It's the same Jesus with the same message, but different hearts. You see, for the people that Jesus grew up with, he's still Joseph's son. And Joseph has a warning that each and every one of us need to grab here this morning. Let's... Let's read on and read this warning. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. What is, what is going on with Jesus in this reference to the widow? Well, in the time of Elijah, he prayed and there was an enormous famine. And... Uh, Many people were starving. Many people were without food. But there was one widow who wasn't even in covenant with God, who lived outside of Israel. And she's the one that experienced the miraculous hand of God in her life because she was open to it. What is Jesus saying to everybody in Israel? The difference was not God. The difference was not Elijah. The difference lay with every other widow that missed out. Jesus is saying there were many widows. None of them had their jars running over. Let's go, let's move a little bit further. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. Elisha takes over the reins gloriously from from Elijah. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed, 
but only Naaman the Syrian. And the Syrians were in opposition to Israel. And I don't know if anybody knows the story of Naaman. It's a beautiful story. You can read it later on if you like. But the story of Naaman goes a little bit like this. Naaman was a general in the Syrian army, a very, very uh, uh, well-to-do kind of a guy, a very high up. And uh, in the house where he was, there was this little Israelite girl that had been taken captive. And uh, she learns that her master has leprosy. And a word comes to Naaman. Sounds like, we're going to sound like a familiar pattern in a moment. A word comes to Naaman that there is a prophet in Israel that can help him out. Now, had Naaman stayed in Syria, his leprosy would have stayed on him. But Naaman does something. Naaman acts upon what he hears. He responds to the word that he hears. And he, and he travels a great journey from Syria to find Elisha the prophet. And then when he gets to Elisha, and you can read the story, Elisha has a very humbling way of making sure uh, that the general realises his place in the universe, by the way. And so Elisha gives this Syrian general a, a, a list and a, and a set of things that he must do. Go and wash yourself seven times and, and Naaman carries on and I don't want to do it and, and who does this prophet think that he is? And Naaman comes, can I say, with all the money and all the pomp and all the ceremony to the point where his, Elisha's assistant Gehazi runs after him to get some money. But Naaman offered vast amounts of money. Elisha says, I, I don't want your money. You just go and do this and you'll be cleansed. So Elisha, here's the word from a little Israelite girl. He responds which sounds a little bit like faith to me, he responds and travels a great distance to Israel and then he obeys. Finally, he obeys what it is that Elisha has said and he goes and he is cleansed. And what Jesus is saying to them, they they don't like what Jesus has got to say to them because he's saying, you guys are in danger of missing out as well. As I bring this to a close this morning, I challenge everybody in this room not to miss out. You know, the truth was that uh, in the time of Elijah, there were many widows. In the time of Elisha, there were many lepers. But nearly all of them missed out. Bar Naaman and bar a little widow in Zarephath. And do you know the difference wasn't with Elijah? Do you know the difference wasn't with God. It wasn't because God likes some people and he doesn't like others. God doesn't change. So the people that need to do the changing might just happen to be us. And what Jesus is saying to these guys is, I've got the greatest news in all of the universe. You no longer have to live at distance from God. You can experience Jesus and the power of God for yourself. If you're captive here today, you can be set free. If you feel oppressed, you can be released. If you live at distance from God, you can come close to God. And Jesus says, but you're going to miss out if I'm not more than the carpenter's son to you. So I want to challenge everybody in this room. And you might be sitting here saying, you know what, Pastor, I, I, I've, I've, I've been following Jesus 15, 20 years. Please don't miss out. You might be sitting here this morning searching. 
and curious about God. Don't miss out. Don't let Jesus pass you by. Every single person. And we all get one small sliver of eternity that God has given us to steward. And that's the period of time between our birth and our death. And everything that happens in that little slither of eternity holds all the weight for the rest of eternity. Every single one of us is given an opportunity and I would implore everybody in this room, do whatever you have to do, but don't miss out. Being a Christian doesn't mean we just follow a philosophy or a good set of ideas or we adhere to a guy who was a good teacher many, many years ago. Being a Christian means we follow Jesus Christ and we can experience and know him today. That's the greatest news in the universe is that you no longer have to live at distance from God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I am so thankful, thankful for Jesus. Jesus, you are everything. We could not save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We can only tread upon a blood-stained pathway as we make our way towards God, and that blood is yours, Jesus. Our blood would not and will not do. Jesus, I pray that every heart in this place would be surrendered. Lord, if we have followed you for 15, 20 years, Lord, I pray that our heart would be surrendered to you. Lord, if we're seeking and we're curious, I pray that hearts would be surrendered to you in this place today and that nobody would leave this place without taking hold of the opportunity of experiencing the person of Jesus Christ. As we heard over communion, Father, I'm so grateful that you love us. You love us so often in spite of us. Lord, we love you in return. Lord, I pray today that nobody would miss out, Lord. In your wonderful and glorious name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.